I'm going to go ahead and pray. And uh, as, as I do that, I just want to remind us all of a simple spiritual truth that when we call upon the name of Jesus, and in fact, I'll read this scripture here. It says, Colossians 3.11, uh, excuse me, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and listen to this, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs of everything that God has promised for his people to manifest here in this earth. That's who you are as you call upon the name of Jesus as Lord. And as we follow him, that's what he's leading us into is the fulfillment of what he's called us to do. So as I'm praying right now, I want to release my faith together with yours that God does a, a, another step in, in, uh, in that fulfillment as we're, as we're here today. Is that good? In other words, God has impossible plans to work through your life where he is glorified. And uh, as we believe in him, we get to be a part of that. So, Lord, we do thank you that we are heirs according to a promise not according to our work or anything that we do, not even according to our own faithfulness, but according to your promise. Um, and Lord, we do recognize Jesus, you are Lord, and that you are alive. You're not dead. You're not just a dead religious figure. You are alive, and you are reigning, and you are also in heaven while also here dwelling amongst us through your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we ask that as we look at the Word of God this afternoon, that it would be more than just words on a page. It would even be more than just words coming out of a man's mouth, but that we would hear the voice, the same voice that spoke existence into being and spoke and there was light and spoke and, and formed things. We ask that the same voice would be heard and, and received in our innermost being, that you would uh, speak your will into our lives, that it would manifest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have been looking at Jesus over the past number of weeks, and um, kind of the idea of you can know something about a person by virtue of looking at their actions. If you want to know who I am, you don't just listen to what I say. But if you look at my behavior, that will tell you a lot about who I actually am and really what is in my heart. And uh, if I were to follow you around all week this upcoming week and see what you did, not just what you say, that would give me a, a true window into who you really are and what's really in your heart. And so we've been looking at what Jesus did, uh, especially in the uh, Gospel of Luke, uh, to know him and to see more of who he really is. I believe that as we really see Jesus for who he is and receive it by faith, there's something that happens in the human heart that uh, the natural response is elated worship. Um, he's just amazing and fulfills every single thing that's uh, in, the, in the depths of the human heart. So that's what we've been looking at. And um, we've been looking at some really big picture stuff the next, this week, and, and I don't say this in a cheesy, religious, churchy kind of way, if the Lord wills, we'll continue this next week as well. I, because I always want to stay in that place of, I think I know what we're doing, but God could redirect it. We're looking at Jesus and how he was the lover of the unloved and the liberator of the limited. Lover of the unloved and liberator of the limited. And so this happens in the context of something that has happened seriously in our nation. Many of you would know of these violent attacks that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, we were in transit headed back from a trip to the south and uh, didn't even know about it. And the next Sunday, I'm doing all this church stuff. And it was later that I kind of found out last Sunday really about the extent of what had happened. And um, I think it would be good to just say a couple comments, but also speak into how I believe the church, we can be responding, not the full picture perhaps, but certainly at the bedrock, the 101, 
How can we be responding in this time in our nation? Sound good? First of all, first comment, let me say this unequivocally that, and I think it needs to be said, that any, we would condemn uh, any kind of violent attack, um, any kind of white supremacy, any kind of form of hate group, white supremacy, any kind of hate group, um, where people, innocent people are being attacked on the basis of hate and one group thinking of themselves as superior to another group is heinous. And, um, and we also, I think, as a church body would in some way want to be able to express our condolences to people who, one person especially, who needlessly lost their lives, their life, and uh, many others who were, who were injured. That's just so unhelpful in many ways. Uh, the good news is, if, if you can hear what I'm saying, is that God can use these things to draw attention to, uh, to needs in our, in our lives. Um, and so I think that in, in a lot of ways, the, there's some hurt happening right now. And, um, and we want to condemn and stand against white supremacy, hate groups, racism, and all those kinds of things. Can I suggest that though all of that is the case, our response, our role, and when I say our, I mean as followers of Jesus in this, in this earth. While it is helpful for us to be involved politically to some degree, I think that Christians, for example, should vote. Although I wasn't in the country when the last presidential election took place, so I didn't get that opportunity to do that, which has exempted me greatly when people want to know the new pastor in town, who'd you vote for? I just have to clarify, because people could say, well, you can vote overseas, because we have voted from overseas before. But to be truthful, what happened was that we landed on the last day that you could register in the state of Michigan to vote, so we could not this past election. Thank you. This is being recorded and put on the internet, so we have clarified the situation. Thank you. So while it's important, and I also believe that, that uh, God can and has led people to be politically involved in different uh, circumstances, uh, to, in other words, to be actually take on, on roles in politics um, and, and that sort of thing, here is the main thing that you and I, the privilege that we have of being a part of here on this earth, is that the church, you and I, the the gathering, the family of God, each local church is called to be an expression of God himself, of the nature of the kingdom of God into society. And so I find that oftentimes Christians are looking at the darkness in the world around us and we're reaching out and we're trying to convert that darkness into light. When in fact, the role of the church is to be light and as we shine light, in other words, we allow Jesus to transform us. We allow transformation to first happen in ourselves rather than trying to pick it outside the whatever, rather than trying to hold this and do that and force this change and put pressure on that politician. I'm not saying that there's no place for that, but the primary thing, the first starting point is God change my heart. And then the second is God change our heart as a community that in the midst of a darkened and fallen world, there would be a community amidst that darkness that people could see and find light there and say, actually, the way you guys are living, though you're in the same society I'm in, what you're living in, the kingdom you're living in, your leader, Jesus, who I don't see, but I can tell you guys are being led by a power other than what I can see, he is leading you into light. And you're shining that light into darkness. And the Bible says that as that light shines, people stream to it. And that's what we want to see. I hope I'm making sense. We want to shine light. So when we see darkness out there, our first response, God, change my heart. If there's any racism in my heart, if there's any hate in my heart, if there's any judgment in my heart, let, let me be completely cleansed of that. Honestly, even this week, I've been repenting. Like, God, I want, I, want, I want to be 
like you. My role is not to finger point at the hate group or the other people who have been victimized by it. My, my responsibility is to follow him. That we would be, be like, be like, that I would be like him. Cool? Let me read you a scripture. So I find that on the right, and when I say that, I mean the political right. Honestly, while I was not living in this nation for the past eight years, I was so frustrated, or maybe I'm, I'm speaking it too emotionally, I would get frustrated and really disappointed hearing people on the political right who are evangelical Christians so upset with the Obama administration and fe- thinking that we've got to change this and we've got to do this. And, and, and I'm like, wait a minute, isn't your role in Amer- the Amer- church in America to shine light rather than dishonoring and speaking negatively about the president? You still love me? And likewise, even now, hearing the, the, other, the other side of the political spectrum, wanting to change, and, and, and look, I, I don't have a problem with people wanting to change things, but as the believer, as a follower of Jesus, who have another kingdom inside of us, We have the ability to express a whole other kingdom and we're focused entirely on the kingdom of this world rather than what's inside of us in the light that can be coming out ourselves. And and I find that that frustrating. In Acts chapter 1, I just want to read this scripture. Christians are not primarily called to change society and government. And I hope you understand what I mean by that. I'm not saying that as a result of us living here, society wouldn't be changed. I think society should be changed. But society isn't changed by us going into it and changing it. Society is changed because we are changed by him. His society gets into our heart and changes us. And then people see that and start coming to it. And as more and more people in our society come streaming to what it is that we have, that way society is changed, that they get what we have. Not us going and beating them and saying this needs to change and blah, blah, blah. That's not our role. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus says this. So when they had come to, uh, so Jesus doesn't say this, but this is, well, you'll know what I mean by that in a second. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, this is the disciples, right before Jesus is about to go up into heaven. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples in that time were looking for a political leader, and their idea and their expectation of the Messiah that was to come would be a political leader, please hear me, somebody who would liberate the people of God from Roman oppression. Now let me make it very clear, Roman oppression was evil, and it was mistreating people, albeit God's people. And one would think that that would be surely a benevolent, kind-hearted God that would be first on his agenda. He's going to want to liberate innocent people from evil Roman oppression, right? Not so much. Let's read on. Verse 8, 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. In other words, the disciples were looking at this earth. Man political leader, military leader, somebody to liberate us from this other group of people that we all know we hate. They're the Romans. They're oppressing us. We hate them. It's us against them. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You're actually called to minister to your own people and them. And actually, the kingdom that I'm giving to you is going to give you power to represent to the whole earth who I am and what I am, that you might be a light, and that way you change people. He's actually, in one sense, saying you're going to have to forgive them in order that you can reach them. And you're wanting me to change them? Uh-uh. That's not, I'm not just going to come and zap and make your life easy. You're, going, you're called to actually be in here and be a light to reflect me. Are we good? Okay. Now, I know maybe this isn't politically popular, uh, today, that's okay, but I think that you'll be able to hear, hear the heart. We're not looking for a political messiah. We need to be politically involved, but that's a far lesser thing than our high calling. We have the ability in this society, in this, in this city of Detroit, to show people of Detroit what Jesus looks like in so much that we ourselves are following him, truly following him and allowing him to impact our heart. 
And that's what I want. Everything else is just playing church. Who here wants to play church? Good. So, we are called to shine in darkness. If you look with me, just one more scripture as we're getting into this. Isaiah 60, verse 1. We read Isaiah 61 very often, as you know. Uh, but I think that it would be good to look at this scripture in light of what we're talking about. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This is prophetic of the church. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Verse 3, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of of your rising. And I just want to make this simple point, that in the moment of a, of, a, of a time like Charlottesville, in a moment like the Trump election, and I don't know if you would remember, but the things that were going down in various streets of outcry and terror of what uh, people, many people were feeling that was going to be the result of a Trump administration. And I'm not even saying right or wrong. I don't even want to go there. I'm just saying, as things are looking grim, and I can remember having a conversation with a particular very close individual who is a Jesus follower living in America while I was still in South Africa over Skype and they were expressing the terror that they felt of the Obama administration. And Paul, you just don't even know. I mean, this country is going down the tubes. It is, it is horrible. And uh, it's just so horrible. And Obama, that man is the most evil man. He's the most evil man. And I'm sitting here thinking Romans, something about pray for your leaders and honor those in leader, anyways. And uh, my point being, lost my train of thought. <laughs> it will come back, Lord, help me. The, the, the point being actually that our role <laughs> is to move on at this point because I can't remember what I was saying. All of you can be grateful that you're not standing in front of a group right now. Anyways, it was a good point, I'm sure. Yeah, it was more than pray for our leaders. It was, it was this. Thank you, Michelle. That didn't get me there, but it got me there somehow. It's this, that in the midst of when society is looking dark, we just read that, that darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people's. Instead of the church being upset by that, our response shouldn't be, oh, we've got to preserve society. We've got to make things the way they used to be. Our, our response as the church is that we shine brightest when things get dark. Our light becomes more evident when things are dark. And while we want to stand for the oppressed and we don't want to just allow people to be oppressed or hurt and that sort of thing, the reality is, is when society and culture around us gets darker, that's when the Lord says the church arises and shines and the glory of the Lord is seen upon us. We have opportunity right now, my friends, to, to simply do these three things. How do we want to shine in the midst of, of national crisis or things being dark in this, in this world? I'll give you three simple things that will always be true. Number one, we follow Jesus follow him. Would not go to church, not read my Bible, not pray. Follow the voice of the shepherd. Know him intimately. Allow him into those places. Allow him to change your heart. That will transform your life into a greater light. Number two is we receive, which I guess is re, kind of repetitive what I just said, but receive truth from his word into our hearts. Not just hearing the word, not even just studying the word, looking, even right now, what we're doing right now. If receive the word with the understanding that I have a responsibility once I receive it to do it and to live in it. And if there's anything that's being said or read that isn't really the will of God, then we, we can contest that and we can... But otherwise, once we have heard the word of God, our responsibility is to do it, to live in it. And oh, that there was a church that, that honored the word of God at that level, regardless of what it meant personally to us, regardless of what we think other people are going to think of us, that we would honor the word of God. That will transform us into light. And then thirdly, 
is to simply live by that truth. Follow Jesus, receive truth from his word into our hearts, and then live by the truth. So I just want to say a couple thoughts today, having said all that, into looking again at what Jesus did. Specifically, we said lover of the unloved, liberator of the limited, specifically looking at Jesus' relationship today with children and then secondarily with the poor. Next week, again, God willing, we're going to look at Jesus' relationship and approach to women and then um, what the Bible calls sinners. In other words, people who really weren't particularly religious in any kind of way. And uh, again, this is not so that we would have more knowledge in our heads and know more about Jesus so that we can feel like we know a lot of spiritual stuff. If this doesn't translate into us having changed lives and allowing the Lord to transform our own hearts, it's actually a frivolous exercise. And I don't think anyone in here wants that. But so let's listen, let's, let's dig into this with the approach of, Lord, change my heart that you could, you could reveal yourself through me as well as to me. Jesus' approach to societies less esteemed was to firstly give, place dignity upon them. In other words, there was no differentiation in Jesus' heart from the poor and the rich, from the popular and the unpopular, from the spiritual people who knew all the right doctrine, from the people who were stuck fishing and didn't even know the epistles from the apostles. Actually, some of them would become apostles, but that's, that's neither here nor there. He, wasn't, he didn't see any differentiation. He saw people, humans, created in the image of God, called by God to become a son of God. That's what he saw, every single person. And even when we do this kind of love Detroit hot dog thing, as Minda challenged us earlier, the challenge is not just hanging out with people who are, look like me, act like me, and who are comfortable to me, but to see people, all people, with dignity. And then what I love is he brought them secondarily, placed dignity upon them, but he brought them into his ministry, his own ministry. He had a place for them. And it wasn't just sitting down and, and listening. It was he brought them, wanted to bring them in to what he was doing. So he had purpose for people. So let's look at um, children, first of all. Is that good? Luke chapter 18, if you'll go with me there. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 15 through 17. It says in that portion of Scripture, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Pay attention to that. When the disciples saw the babies coming, they rebuked the people bringing them. Verse 16, but Jesus called the children to him. Called the children to them. So that word there would actually be less about babies and more technically about um, uh, uh, piedion, so uh, like kids. Let the children come to, to me, and do not ha- h- excuse me, hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so just a couple thoughts that I want to say about, about kids. Driving some stakes in the ground about Jesus' culture. Is first of all, children have a leg up in the kingdom of God in terms of... Um, in terms of being able to learn and receive the things of the kingdom of God when compared to adults. So in other words, what I mean is most of us adults, we've learned, we've had experience, we kind of know how this world works. We know things like gravity and we know things about like, you know, that when you step onto water, you're not going to be able to walk on it because the whatever, I can't even scientifically articulate it right now, but I understand it. We know all of these things, whereas a child is much more teachable. And Jesus is saying, actually, they're not lesser than, even though society would, would, an experience would suggest such, kids are important to me right now in the ministry. But Jesus says, they actually have a leg up on you adults. And so listen, listen to this. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So when Minda and I were 
in, back in South Africa, and we were leading a church, wonderful church, Santon City Church. God starts to speak to us about planting a church and, in America, and that becomes clear. It's about Detroit, and, and at some point along the journey, we felt like it would be appropriate for us to sit down and actually talk to our kids about planting this church in, in Detroit, and they needed to be along the journey with us. And we just asked them to, you got to keep this under wraps, can't talk about it publicly and that kind of thing, but right now this is what we're, we're doing. So we sat down and we talked to them, and as we're sitting at that table uh, and explaining the whole journey of how it began, and many of you know the story of how it began, these amazing experiences that all led us to fully believe that God was calling us as a family to the city of Detroit, but we didn't really talk a lot about like what it's going to look like, neither did we know a lot. And John David was sitting there, I'll never forget this, and he just goes, you know, I think that when we go there, as we connect with people, he said, mom, are there people that don't know Jesus in Detroit? And she was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, like, that's the thing. Well, I think that as those people come and they're a part of what we're doing, and as they experience, and that was the word he used, as they experience Jesus, they're going to like be so impacted that they're going to start telling other people that also don't know Jesus. And those people are going to come. And I'm sitting there listening in his, what was then like an eight-year-old, eight-year-old mind. He didn't know any of the stuff, you know. He just was just speaking out of what he was seeing in his spirit. And I was like, yes, John David, that is exactly it. And then he's like, okay, but are there other cities that like don't have churches and don't have people that know Jesus, that have people that don't know Jesus? And we're like, yeah. And he says, well, I feel like as we grow and as there are more people who are experiencing Jesus, that God would then have us be able to go into other cities and plant churches and do, do the same thing there. And we're like, yes. <laughs> That is exactly it. It took no, you know, kind of trying to get him to see or trying to convince him or anything. Children just have this ability to receive so simply and innocently and easily the things of the kingdom of heaven. And we want to build as a local church around that just like Peter, I mean, excuse me, just like Jesus did. Check this out. Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 17 and 18. You see... Here's the reality, is that the Spirit of God is without age. Am I right? If I'm wrong, you tell me. How old is the Spirit of God? When was the Spirit of God started? He's without age. It, he, is without age. And so, and, and likewise, the Spirit of God is without gender. The Spirit of God is independent of those natural divisions that we place on people. The Spirit of God will flow through Minda in the same way that the Spirit of God can flow through Christian. Even though one is an African-American, another one is a European-American. One's a male, one's a female, one's 40, we'll say. And the other one is, I don't know, 15, 16, something like that. The same Spirit will flow through both. And we've got to transform our thinking to think that the parents and the older folks are the real church and the kids are the church of tomorrow. Nonsense. Every kid in this, in this church is just as much a follower of Jesus as the other and able to be used by the same Spirit of God as anyone else. Insomuch that they have called by their own faith upon Jesus as Lord. So Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, listen to this. This is the description from the prophet Joel of the nature of the Spirit of God being given to the church. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on which people? White people. I will pour out my Spirit on men. I will pour out my Spirit on those who are 33 or older. I will pour out my Spirit on all, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, messing up people's heads. What? That's for the adults who have their doctrine and theological things in place. No, 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 no. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, speaking of age. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. We've got male, female. We've got young and old all up in that. Let me tell you something. Most of Jesus' apostles, 
the, in other words, the apostles of the Lamb, the 12 who were following him, do you know that most of them were most likely in their teens? Try that on for modern day church leadership training. Most of them. In fact, the only one that we know for sure wasn't was Peter, who was married prior to him coming into this thing. They were mostly teens. That's the way Jesus looks at this thing. He placed and conferred upon what he raised up on a bunch of people that were probably by that time in their early 20s, Candace. How awesome is that? Most of them. And Paul tells Timothy, we don't know exactly how old Timothy was, but, but listen to what Paul says in First Timothy 4.12. Timothy had been sent by Paul to be the regional leader of what the church was happening in this whole area called Ephesus. Paul says, let no man despise your youth. In other words, most people, if they looked at him and judged him naturally, could have failed to receive him because, oh, he's too young. When in fact, God does not look at it that way. Every single person, irregardless of the natural boxes men put you in, you can be used and are called to be used by the same Spirit of God. Are we, are we there? So that's the way we want to approach uh, kids. Kids are not the church of tomorrow. We want to train them up for the purpose of releasing them now. The issue isn't are they old enough or have the aptitude and the education? That, that's, it's the same thing as the adults in this room. Does your heart want it? If there's a teenager who wants it, they will get it. If there's an adult who could have it, but doesn't really think they need it or want it, they're not going to get it. <laughs> it's the way it works. It's desire and hunger. That's what fuels our ability to be used by God. So a couple practicals. Kids, those of you who are uh, in the room and, and would be labeled kids, I want to say to you, serve with us. I want to say, find your place, and I want to say this more than anything, know your God. Not mom's God, not dad's God. Know him and find your expression. I loved this past Sunday that we had, I think it was this past Sunday, we had people come up for prayer at the end, and Craig was one of them, and I loved seeing his son Eli come up, not to receive prayer as far as I know, but to lay hands upon his dad and pray. Well done, Eli. Awesome. Taking initiative to be used of God yourself. And uh, likewise, this, this uh, past Wednesday, also having to do with Eli, my son began to feel something prophetically as we were spending time praying as a, in a home group at the Opals. And, um, we, and he oftentimes does this, so we've been encouraging him, step out. When you feel like you feel something prophetic from God, go ahead and say it. And so he did it, and he had something for Eli. And uh, so let's see more of that, young people. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Parents, I want to say this. Impart everything that you have, including ministry. Our responsibility as parents, for those of you who are parents in the room, and those of you who are going to be parents one day in the room, is to give everything, everything that we've received. Financial resource, education, wisdom, school of hard knocks, things that we know about how money works in this world, the whole kit and caboodle of natural, spiritual ministry, how to prophesy, be used of God, how to have a heart for the nations and a heart for your neighbor, to, to address racism. I mean, the, everything. Our job as parents is to impart to our kids. To the degree that you have come into your call is the same degree that you need to be training your kids. Not the church of tomorrow, today as how you live now, how to be used by Jesus. Good? So include that as part of how you're training. I, we, we've got, there was a couple on the pastoral team in the church that we, again, had the privilege of leading back in, in Johannesburg. And um, while this could be questionable, I still think it's, it's good to, to note their approach to their children 
was to, when, when there were all these other people making sure that their kids go to a nice, safe Christian school and a safe environment, this guy was on the, the pastoral team, great, amazing couple, and they said, actually, no, we feel that we're going to send our kid uh, to the public school. And the reason is because we are here in this earth to be a light in darkness and to impact people with what it is that we have. And we want to train our ch children up to be able to do that from an early age. Now, I think that there were some people who were like, oh, like what? And you, you know, when in fact, because they did that in faith, their little boy had opportunities to see worldly things. Can you say that with me? Worldly things? And so often the church's approach to worldly things is just to run and to hide, hide from the world. Get it away. Kids, don't look. When in fact, the kids need to be able to confidently impact society. And how are you ever going to do that unless you have experience during your childhood with the world? And so I want to encourage us as parents, while we want to protect them and, and keep them from the evil one, they need experience now. They need to make decisions now while they're still under the tutorage of their parents of coming into contact with real world stuff. Why? Because if they go out into the real world stuff at a late age and they never had that now, it's going to clump them upside the head and they will not be prepared for it. Jesus did not approach kids as like, no, stay, stay, keep them back. They sh they're not allowed. No. Come into this thing. Learn from this thing. Be a part of this thing. And it's real world. It's not, oh, the first Presbyterian church where we get together and no one cusses and everyone tithes. Do you see what I'm saying? It's out there. Real world experience. Secondarily, Jesus treated the poor as those with purpose. If you'll look with me a few verses down from that first one that we looked at, also Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, and I just want to say just a couple very simple points about this. It says in verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Check this out. He called out, this is the blind guy, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, now check, check how some of the people who are there and involved in the situation respond. It says that they, uh, those who led, him, led the way, in other words, those who were kind of responsible for taking him by the hand and leading him because he was blind and couldn't see his own way, they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Now I want to ask the question, you know, sometimes when we're around poor people, because this guy was a beggar, and they start doing things that seem kind of socially um, inappropriate, they are not refined in the way that we should behave, especially not around a holy man like Jesus. What do we do? Do we try to like, shut, can somebody shut that beggar up? You know what I'm saying? Now, look, I mean, if we're having a corporate gathering and somebody starts, like, doing something completely unhelpful, I mean, it's no problem to say, hey, can, like, can you turn it down a little bit rather than yelling or, you know, whatever. But if we're dealing with things that we deem as culturally unacceptable, we need to take a real close look before we respond in a way that's other than the way Jesus responded, which is this, if you'll read along with me. It says in verse 40, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. So they're like, get away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, actually bring him to me, please. Verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? And Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. Praising God. Now, now listen to how the whole group responded. Praising God. When all the people saw it, they also Praise God. I want you to see the progression of what has happened here. We start with a beggar. He's blind. He's completely dependent on other people. He's lesser than, right? Am I right? Everybody that was around him would deem him. Everyone should know that this guy is secondary to us 
non-beggar people. He's less than. He's dependent on us. He begs for money. He has to be led by the... He's, he's a lesser than person. It starts off there, and when he starts opening up his mouth in the context of what Jesus is doing, they're all shh, shh, shh. They're re, he's rebuked. Moving from that, Jesus places dignity upon him and actually points him out and says, no, bring him to me. Jesus does a work in his life, and the conclusion of the matter is that he is now incorporated into the community. It says that he went from that place and followed Jesus with the rest of the community, praising God for what had just been done in this man's life. And I want to say our pride and our carnal way of thinking, our natural way of thinking, looks at poor people and sees them as a problem. Jesus sees them as a potential testimony to shine light in an otherwise darkened world. He sees purpose in the person's life. And that is how you and I need to be looking at everybody, not just at the Love Detroit hot dog thing or ice cream and water thing that we're doing tomorrow as you're sitting at a traffic light and crossing a street. So why did this happen? Why were they looking at this? Because society had agreed that, they were, that this person was lesser. And uh, we want, my friends, gospel to the poor. If you remember, the spirit, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And that idea of poor, if you really look at that word, the original Hebrew word translated into English as poor, it actually isn't just the economically poor, it's the poor of spirit, people who are in poor situations of any kind in life. We want to reach the poor not from a place of superiority as though we're paternalistically coming and we are your rescuers. The whole idea of what we've been called to do is to bring people into us, into me, into my life. You following? We are having dinners as a family with our neighbors, not so that we can reach people and hopefully grow the numbers of the church, so that we can open up our lives with them so that they can find safety and covering under our lives and hopefully incorporate them into loving church family where they begin to see the same one that we do and receive him as well. In other words, the objective is to bring people into family because that is what God is ultimately really interested in. Not just getting people into heaven when they die, incorporating them into family. And when you understand that, it changes the whole way you try to reach your world. I'm not trying to get you to convert. I'm trying to show you my father and, and express family to you so that you can begin to trust and receive him as well. So some practicals. I would say this upcoming Sunday when we're eating ice creams and waters, can I ask that you would realize that there is a potential testimony in every person that you may find naturally uncomfortable to talk to? And who knows, maybe it's that conversation that you'll stri strike up with them that could be important, an important link in that chain. And to get outside of your comfort of maybe meeting and talking to people of your own race, of your, of your own natural affiliation, and say, actually, I want to build community with people who don't look like me and don't act like me. Or do we just want to maintain a culturally homogenous group and say we're reaching Detroit? So that's one thing. A second little point I want to make, not really a thing to do, but just I want to explicitly say it again. We are not targeting poor people. That's not, neither are we targeting new Detroit and the wealthy, more studied and moneyed people moving into Detroit, the more affluent and rich. We're not targeting the poor or the rich. Do you know we're not targeting the black people? We're not targeting white people. We're not tar targeting Mexicans. We're not targeting any natural affiliation or, or categorization of people. We're targeting human beings who are made in the image of God who live in Detroit and who we have the privilege of building loving community with. And so... Um, Having said that, I want to say this, which I think is so important, especially for our nation in this time and in this age, and I hope that we can hear this. I think that this is absolutely critical for Christians, for followers of Jesus to get, is that we do not, you and I, 
ought not to identify ourselves primarily as any natural category. In other words, it is a very real thing that I grew up in a white family um, in a predominantly white neighborhood going to a predominantly white school and of a certain economic standing with a certain education. I grew up with all of that and that inevitably shapes the person that I am, right? And, uh, I, I, and, and it's kind of pathetic. It's like I have had so much experience with people of a different color than I am and I'm still hopelessly white. It's embarrassing. You'd think I would have rhythm by now or something. I don't. I, in college, my best friend was an African-American who was a African-American. He was from a, a rural town. He went to a 100% African-American church prior to knowing me. When, uh, when we moved to the next community that we lived in, it was a, uh, this unbelievable church in the rural segregated South that was 50% black and 50% white in the church. It was a miracle that such a church existed. And throughout the week, I was the only white dude of amongst an entire black company that I was working in, and I was inundated. And then from there, where do we move? Africa, <laughs> okay? So like, I'm surrounded by this thing, and yet I'm still white, but I'm not primarily white. I'm not primarily male. It, those things are real, and it's not that we're so super spiritual that we don't recognize, them. no, that, those two things are real, but that's not who I am. I am a child of God, and I've got the same spirit in me that the African rejoicing in the DRC Congo under a hut and on a, on a dirt floor worshiping God, same spirit that's in that one is in me. And we are brothers and sisters. Not just some nice lingo. We literally are brothers and sisters. We've got the same dad. And if we can see that way, that we don't affiliate, we don't recognize and find identity in natural. I'm saying that to the black community. I'm saying that to the white community. Both are evil. In terms of as a child of God, we have the ability to become one. Having said that, let me read two scriptures and then we'll close. Galatians 3.28, listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Did you hear that? So with regards to children, they're one. They call on the name of Jesus. They can speak into my life. The Spirit of God is in them. They're, they're, we are one. If you're black, if you're white, if you're Mexican, if you're old, if you're young, if you're whatever. We have an ability to shine light on that truth. Colossians 3.11 says this. Says this here, being, here in this place of faith, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So uh, can we... I think that it would be appropriate for us just to, um, just to pray. Uh, yeah, st uh, uh, Kurt, that'd be great if you just kind of want to play, but we're not going to, I just simply think that it would be very good for us to pray in response to what is being said, because again, this is a frivolous activity of what we've just gone through looking at the scriptures if it doesn't equate to something of a changed heart. And I guarantee you, just like myself, I would imagine not one person in here uh, feels as though that they're racist. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of you think you are, but most of us would not say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm racist. And yet, we probably have something, some twinge of it lying around in there somewhere. Judgments that we make against, of other people that leave us feeling like we'll never have relationship and community with that type of person. What about politics? You start to sniff out that someone's liberal in their thinking and you're a conservative. Does the wall shoot up? 
Nah, that relationship's never going to happen. We can be in the same room and worship Jesus together. Ain't going to build relationship, though. How about young and old or whatever the case is? I think that we would do well to, to pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for our, us as a church that God would shine a light through us. Is that good? I'm going to pray. I'll lead us in a prayer, but I'm going to ask you to link your faith with mine and let's call upon a God who really hears that he would transform us, do a work in our lives, bring repentance wherever repentance is necessary, that his will could be done. So, Father, we thank you so much that you have called us according to purpose. You've called us by your name to represent you in the city of Detroit. And, Lord, we, we are amazed that you desire to represent you. Who are we to represent you in this city and even beyond. And yet we know you have made it so clear that you have done just that. And so Father, when we compare ourselves to one another, it's easy to think that we're okay, but Lord, when we are looking at you and knowing that our call is to represent you, we realize, wow, we are falling seriously short. And Father, we, we know that there is grace to use us in spite of our weakness but you want to change and continuously transform our hearts. And so, Lord, we're asking you right now, we need you. We need you to be a light in our relationships and in our community, at our workplace, and our neighborhoods, and in our relationships. We need you to do a work in us. So, Father, wherever there are stumbling blocks, wherever there's racism and anything that would divide our hearts from other people, Lord, we are asking you right now in Jesus' name, would you shine light on any such area where we have divided ourselves from people who think differently, look different, act different? Lord, we're asking that in this place that there would be a community, church community raised up who are one because of what you have done. That we have a unity of the Spirit, the same Spirit, and a unity of faith, the same faith. That that would bind us together, not only spiritually, but in very practical ways, relationally. We ask you that. We know that that is your will. We are asking you for it in the authority of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to take that to an individual level.